Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Thursday, July 13th, and this is episode number 206. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are things going? Well, they're going about the same as they have the last several weeks, Rod. <laughs> Not a hell of a lot going on. <laughs> well, I mean, we got to hang out a bit last weekend. It was kind of, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, we you know we end up talking more about stuff off the you know away from the Browns, um, right? Here and there, but um, that was fun. Uh, yeah. Still hot weather, July. What else, what else can you say? Right. So, yeah. So uh, so let's let's bring our guest in. Uh, we have another Jeff with us, and uh, Jeff Rich. Um, you can follow him at Jeff Rich Talks on Twitter. Uh, Jeff is the host of Sports Byline Sports Overnight America. Uh, that's at Jeff. I'm going by your by your Twitter account here. That's at 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You said that's on Mondays and Tuesdays. So uh, welcome to the show. Then I'll let you correct me if any of that is incorrect. No, you're accurate across the board. Uh, yeah, Jeff Rich, uh, follow me at Jeff Rich Talks. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm really active on Twitter, and sometimes I, I just have to decompress and step away. And I'll tell you, with uh, the exodus, it seems like it, that is happening to uh, the meta app threads from Twitter. And, and Twitter's been a little bit buggy lately. Uh, it, it's been kind of refreshing. There's been, you know, some of the usual minutia of Twitter uh, may have transferred over to threads and i wish them all the best of luck <laughs> and i'm on on mondays and tuesdays at one o'clock in the morning in uh the, the eastern time zone so uh you know for you late night owls uh yeah sportsbyline.com uh we're on a serious xm station uh it's been so long since i put it out i, I don't remember uh what it is but it's somewhere in the 200s 203 something like all that. right and you talk sports across the board is that right I do. I do. I am. I mean, the meat and potatoes uh, exist with uh, football and I would probably take it to a further extent with fantasy football and all these prop bets that we have with uh, legitimized gambling out there. I don't really partake myself, but uh, I can't help but monitor what's going on. And, uh, you know, if I'm just talking about what I want to talk about, I could listen to my own podcast. I could use a you know an old analog tape reporter a, a tape recorder and I don't need to put it out there so uh i'm a man of the people so I, I try to get a feeling for what everybody wants to talk about and what everybody is sick of hearing about and that usually has to do with uh the teams on the coast 
Yeah. So so now just just talking about you, the fan. So I mean, obviously we're here to talk Browns tonight, but you're you're a uh, you're a big Guardians fan, right? Uh, I, I do love uh, the I, I do love baseball. Uh, you know, I've been out here about 22 years and the Diamondbacks games are just a, a, a tough experience. It's really tough to get into them. Uh, I had no problem with the Suns and, you know, the Cardinals are never going to unseat the Browns in my book. So mm-hmm. uh, but but I, I do love the, the ball club um, being that my initials are J.R. and I wore the number 11 my entire life. Uh, you know, the, the gentleman that's initial are jr and has worn 11 since he uh, got got first got called up around uh, 2015 being my mm-hmm. favorite player and he just so happens to be um not arguably but very much so definitely the best player on that team Jose Ramirez. yeah yeah excellent so uh i wish he would have been the all-star game hero but uh you know sports are not a Hollywood script even uh, you know, I don't remember even remember who it was that put it out there that the NFL is scripted or the NBA is scripted and it's just such a preposterous claim they they feel like it sometimes yeah oh, I, I get I'm that I can say they are but they sure feel like it sometimes um, yeah so it, it I think it makes it easier to think that sometimes if your team loses Maybe Michael <laughs> Strahan's record-breaking stack with uh, Brett Favre kind of, you know, that was take, taking the fall. That was scripted. Or, or yeah. Cal Ripken, the last time the All-Star game was in Seattle, you had Cal, Cal Ripken in his, on his uh, swan song All-Star game retirement tour. You know, A-Rod lets him play short for an inning, and then he, you know, pitch gets grooved in, he hits it over the wall. But you start talking about conspiracies like that, maybe you have to go back to 97 with Sean Estes and Sandy Alomar Jr., and I, I, I'm just not ready to go there. Yeah understand so normally i ask you guys ahead of time or either when you guys drinking anything you would like to talk about all right i guess i'll start um yeah, yeah. i am i am a get drunk fast and get drunk quick and stay drunk so i am um <laughs> i'm I, i'm 45 going on 19 i swear to god guys i, I drink red bull and vodka and i drink sugar-free red bull uh, with it so that you know i keep that blood sugar down a little bit but uh not this evening i'm I'm just trying to catch up on my hydration it was about 110 out today uh just trying to get the uh h2o flowing through my system so i'm no fun that's all right Je- jeff's pro- probably right there with you is that correct <laughs> yeah h2o h2o yeah okay guys i'm I'm drinking something, and I've been kind of saving this um, to talk about because you guys know I don't swear a lot on the show um, unless I'm really upset. Uh, so I'm drinking this. Uh, it's a Flying Dog Raging Bitch IPA. It's a 8.3%, and it's got a little bit of a bite to it. So um, it's decent, but I got this in a... Uh, and a variety pack of the flying dog so um it's not too bad i'm getting used to it but uh is that, is that locally brewed there in ohio flying dog i i don't even know um i'd ask jeff but he has no idea anymore where anything's brewed i don't think right um <laughs> yeah it sound familiar to me flying dog um it is not. It's Utica, New York. There we go. 
Uh, oh, see, see, uh, the Google machine is telling me it's headquartered in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, yeah, because I try to operate on on the fly here myself. But uh, I, I see, I see, I see the uh, selection there. You got the Truth, the Royal Crush, the Snake Dog, Dead Rise, and of course the one that you're drinking. Yeah, I got, I got, I have one that's a, a blood orange something or other out there, and that one's pretty good. That's nice. probably my, my favorite. Um, yeah, it's pretty decent. But but Jeff Rich, I am. I'm a guy who, if I see a good deal on something that looks interesting, I'm going to pick it up because I'm a I'm a beer guy and I just like trying different stuff. I I try to try something different on each show. It doesn't always work out that way, but when I can, I do. So you talk about the blood orange. It, it remind you know drinks and food and you know music from the 80s and 90s it kind of takes me back to where i was and i can remember going to see a friend in san diego before uh the browns played the chargers who you know were still uh, domiciled in san diego at the time back in 2015 and i remember drinking a blood orange saison down on logan avenue uh, kind of, kind of that neighborhood in San Diego that everybody forgets. That's kind of tucked under I five there. But um, I, I remember the bar experience on Saturday night a lot better than Tremont Williams being called for jumping off sides on a missed field goal that gave the Chargers another chance and was among many heartbreaking uh, last second Browns uh, defeats that I was unfortunate enough to attend in person. <laughs> And that that was before Blood Orange was real big, probably too. So, well, when does nice. when did Blood Orange take off, Rod? Um, I mean, probably. I'm gonna sound old now because I was gonna say two, three years, but I've probably been drinking Blood Orange for five or six years. So who knows? I'm not sure. How many years back are you going with that with that uh, with your story there? Oh, uh, 2015. So 15. So I guess eight. Yeah, it, it, you know, it feels like last year, but you know, we're, we're that was pr- that was probably about when it was starting. I would guess. Oh yeah, and we've seen the we've seen the microbrewery uh, market take off. I'll, I'll tell you what, it was it was ten fifteen years ago now, but uh, there was a point in time that we had to go up to Prescott or, or Sedona or Flagstaff, Arizona, to find uh, you know find locally brewed beer, and then they just started popping up on every corner here in Phoenix and the uh, metro area around it. it. It's pretty much like that everywhere now. I think um, yeah, we have. I mean, in Dayton, Ohio, we have so many breweries i haven't been to half of them yet so it's yeah it's kind of nuts it, it's cool but um you hope you get to all of them before they go out of business i mean it's it's a very competitive arena right now you would have to feel i wouldn't go into that business no matter how much i thought i knew about beer it's a very crowded space much like the yeah. podcast space and you, you know you guys have been at this for a couple of years and rod you know you're you're so beloved on twitter i i i have to respect not only you know i understand that you're respected but i also understand why because you're a very kind person and you're always you're looking to for engagement but i you know you don't catch the vitriol that some of these content creators out there uh tend to catch and you know sometimes it's just because uh they have a hot take for the sake of a hot take and uh, you know if if a hot take's not your truth uh then it just doesn't work and it doesn't work for many of them out there well, I appreciate that, Jeff. I, um, you know, I, I've always tried to just be honest and, um, and like I said, be, be kind to people, um, when you can. I mean, um, I always try to be kind. Um, 
you know how some conversations go so um you know if you get backed into corners and you know um sometimes it's best just to leave but especially on twitter but uh but yeah i mean i i I enjoy interacting with people, especially, you know, what you really want is, is pretty much what we get on the podcast and that's just real conversations. Um, and that's kind of what I've really been after on Twitter, you know, well, responses and, yeah, go ahead. you know, Ohio and Cleveland are very, you're so well represented in the national media, but it still feels like, uh, we get dumped on. And I think that part of that is the collective of us. You know, it, it, we just sit there and, and I know that the Cavaliers won in 2016, but uh, it just feels like it's worse than Murphy's Law. You know, That's... even when it feels like something bad couldn't possibly happen. I mean, think about last year's Jets game, uh, you know, where the Browns are up two touchdowns yeah. inside two minute warning. Think about that game with, uh, you know, the Patriots and Brady where, uh, you know, the Patriots ended up, having, you know, recovering an onside kick and beating them. And then uh, to, to bring back the local tie, think about that Browns game in 2001 the day that the diamondbacks defeated the yankees in game seven of the world series early november 2001 uh you have an on uh, uh onside kick you have a hail mary and then pass get you know it bears lineman bats the ball in the air mike brown mike brown from scottsdale arizona runs under it and takes it in and i mean we left the bar in tempe and it was 21-7 Browns, and by the time the Game 7 had thrown its first pitch, uh, it was 28-21, or uh, uh, I believe it was 27-21, because uh, they had the walk-off six. But um, I can remember all of those moments. Every Cardinals game here has ended badly. Uh, I didn't actually see them win away from Cleveland. And this goes back to the old Browns going up to the Silver Dome and over to Indianapolis. I didn't see them win on the road until Dallas in 2020, which was a fun day. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I mean, I just, I go back to that Cavs championship and I just, you know, I like, I just felt so much relief at that championship. And I'm sure so many people did. I'm like, you know, thank God we got a championship. And now it's like, and that, that's you know it's seven years ago you know um it was you know how to be a turning point you know you know how gloom and doom i am i mean i swore that as spates was shooting that ball kevin love was running on the court i'm like they're gonna give golden state two shots in the ball i mean obviously i didn't have much more than a second and a half to process <laughs> that thought but i mean even even in game one in 2018 you know when J.R. smith the uh, famously dribbles out the clock after collecting the uh, missed rebound I remember sitting there thinking, if George Hill makes it, you know, makes it this free throw and puts them up 108, 107, we are going to lose 110 to 108, and then uh, it just took all the air out of them in that overtime. But uh, at that point, I think that 17 and 18, um, you know, probably a lot of the Cavaliers fans, and I'm talking about Cavaliers fans. I'm not talking about the uh, the LeBron James fans that don't really care what team he plays for. They're going to root for that team. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I think that it was large. You know, the Cavs in 17 and 18 were largely house money, whereas the Indians were kind of exactly the opposite after the disappointing finish for that. After they got beat the same way that the Cavs beat uh, Chicago, coming back from a 3-1 deficit. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to talk they, they about that World State. Series. We, we know. Cavaliers never beat Chicago when it when it really mattered, it felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Jeff, we have a, a 
Jeff Rich. We have a segment on the show where we have the guest talk about their Browns fandom and, and the journey. Um, you, uh, you've you gone from Cleveland to uh, to Phoenix so uh, and uh, been a fan for quite a while. Uh, not as long as some others on this uh, on this podcast, but um, quite a long time. So I, I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you let you fill in a few gaps and tell us a little bit about your Browns fandom. Oh, my Browns fandom! I was telling you guys before uh, we went to the published part of the conversation this evening that uh, uh, you know it really all started. Everything with me starts in 1985. So I think you're looking at George Carl's uh, Cavaliers, where uh, World Be Free was the best player. You know, this is before that great draft that they had in '86. But um, you know, '85, you know, Marty and uh, was it a Corsi? Uh, they go out and they just get creative with the roster. You know, USFL is falling apart and they're able to bring in, uh, you know, Frankie Minifield. They had, uh, you know, they had Hanford Dixon on the roster. I mean, those guys, uh, I don't know why it just felt like they came into your living room every Sunday and they said, this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to be about. Uh, they made this uh, forgotten cinematic classic uh, in, in really my neck of the woods out in Lake County, uh, at Willoughby Hills with Squires Castle, Masters of the Gridiron. Uh, I don't know how Mike Babb didn't uh, get nominated for several Oscars for that movie. But, uh, you know, I really fell in love with the team then. And I, I felt my father kind of become a Browns fan with me. And it was our big bond. And uh, I would go over there. There. Um, you know, in fact, that Jets game that preceded the, uh, you know, the, the home AFC championship game uh, that the Browns played, I think, in January of 87. Um, I remember not even watching that game, but I watched the uh, Dolphins uh, divisional round game with them the year before. And uh, I, I don't even remember the specifics of it because, you know, I was seven, you know, seven or eight years old at the time. But I had to put my helmet, you know, because my dad, my father was a Cleveland police officer. So he had all his cop buddies come out to our place in Lake County. And, uh, you know, I'm putting the Hutch Browns helmet on backwards. I'm doing everything uh, to live up to the superstition. And I had to go hide under the table uh, when things started falling apart in the second half. And these guys, these guys were brutal. I mean, they were all in their 20s at the time. And, and uh, you know, my dad let them know that I could handle it. But they were they were really brutal about uh, blaming me for not uh, not putting my helmet on right the right way and <laughs> causing the Browns to lose. Uh, but you know, so, somehow, you know, while that, while it probably, well, it made me cry in real time, uh, at the age I was, um, I think that it, it hardened us up. Uh, you know, I, I think that Clevelanders, uh, especially, uh, where your fandom is formed on a lot of heartbreak, you know, obviously, uh, the loss to Denver that year, the loss to Denver, or, uh, the loss to Denver at Denver the year after. And, you know, it, feel, it feels like Belichick just did everything wrong, uh, climaxing with releasing Bernie that, uh, you know, there's people from, you know, from my generation that don't really remember the playoff game against the Patriots in 94 and, you know, I go in the military in 97. So, um, I, you know, I, uh, I, you know, it was, uh, it, it overlapped a little bit with the Browns return in 99, but I didn't really start feeling Browns fandom until I became kind of an ambassador being away from the area. And, um, 
you know, hey, that's Jeff. He's from Cleveland. Uh, probably a big big Browns fan. And I probably became one, you know, especially considering how it coincided with Butch Davis kind of picking them up uh, from the depths that they were in with Chris Palmer. Uh, so it took a little while for for me to get on Brown, uh, on board with the, you know, with the expansion Browns. Um, and it was easy just to say when they were pitiful in the beginning that, oh, you know, the, the you know, the league screwed the Browns because Carolina and Jacksonville were so successful immediately. Um, I, I think that I just kind of said, OK, this is one of those things that builds character. I'm going to let it be known that I'm a Browns fan. I think I went out and bought a Courtney Brown jersey to wear the Brown wear to the bar on Sundays to, you know, to watch them lose more often. <laughs> that was a good buy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. That's one that I need to, uh, you know, stitch and stitch and swap and make it into like a Michael Dean Perry jersey or something like that. <laughs> Couple of good ninety two. They had Sean Rogers for a while there uh, around the uh, Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn years. So I guess it was just uh, kind of an organic uh, match made for me that, you know, I grew up in Cleveland. I liked football. The, the Browns played football in Cleveland up until 1995, and it never really se- seemed like the glory days, uh, and, you know, until it was over and suddenly there's there's no Browns to watch on Sundays. And it was heartbreaking and depressing, and I'm not going to say it was the reason I enlisted in the Marine Corps, but I'm not going to say it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy. So, um. So yeah, let's uh, let's go on to a, a topic that I just kind of just came up with, like maybe like an hour ago. Um, and and Jeff, I'm, I want you to kick this off. I I just thought I'd kind of ask you guys uh, who who are some of the most intriguing players for you this season. You know, um, you know who are you. You know who who do you want to who do you want to watch who are you kind of curious how they're going to do um you know whether it's uh whether it's a guy who you think might break out a guy who might get a chance this season or whatnot so yeah. so jeff i want you to go first and just you know how, I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give you a number of guys you just uh whoever you want to name and just, uh, well uh, yeah the obvious answer think. for me is deshaun watson i mean he he he's sort of the the guy that this is all riding on. So um, for me, it's, you know, in the, in the first few games, does he look more like, you know, Deshaun Watson from three years ago than he looks like the Deshaun Watson of, of the end of last season. So that's really, for me, what I'm looking for early, um, you know, how and when does he start to look like a, you know, top quarterback in the league again and, and earn his huge contract. Because um, that's really what the whole success or failure of the franchise right now is riding on. Um, not to put too much pressure on the kid. But uh, well, you know, beyond beyond that, I think um, there, there are going to be some fun guys to keep an eye on offensively. Um, I mean, um, Elijah Moore comes to mind as, as a guy that I, I can't wait to see how they utilize him. Um you know, defensively, um, I think Juan Thornhill will be. It will be fun to watch how he plays here. Uh, again, because we we haven't had a true you know opportunistic type free safety here on this roster for quite a while, um, and so how will they? Um, 
how will they dovetail the safeties together and, and will that create more um, turnover possibilities for those guys uh, in the secondary? So uh, just, you know, pro- probably those are the, the, the guys that come to mind right away. Okay. Um, Jeff Ritz, any thoughts on those players before okay. we move on? I, I'm going to say that, yeah, yeah, Deshaun Watson is the factor. Is he going to be able to get his timing down? Uh, is he going to be be able to feel comfortable in that offense? Uh, you know, it's been a while since he's really performed at a high level. I think that, uh, no, he shouldn't be judged by the six games that he played last year, but where else is the sample size? You know, what else are we to look at? And this isn't because... You know, Deshaun Watson suffered this gruesome injury. This is, you know, this is a void of Deshaun's own doing, whether it was sitting out that last year, you know, uh, that last year in Houston and being on the practice squad essentially in 2021 to uh, missing 11 games for the Browns. you know, he's made his bed as far as missing those games. So uh, he's got to go out there with a full offseason and knowing that he's going to be the starter on day one and he's got to get it done. What I'm looking for the Browns to do, uh, what I was looking for them to do this offseason was upgrade the receiving core, um, try to complement Amari Cooper incorporate Najoku into the offense. I think that uh, the acquisition of Elijah Moore is perfect for that. Uh, You know, they gave up a lot of draft capital to upgrade this roster, but Dalvin Tomlinson and then Zadarius Smith. Can Zadarius Smith do what Jadavion Clowney failed to do? And that's create some honesty on Miles Garrett's side of the offensive line. Yep. Yeah. What do you guys think about the running back depth? I mean, obviously Nick Chubb's a stud, but, uh, you know, Hunt's not going to be back. Uh, you know, do, do you think that one of these guys that's been returning kicks is going to step up into that third down role and be able to spell Nick Chubb, uh, you know, so we could just give it to him 40 times a game? I, I was I was going to say that Jerome Ford is, is one of those guys for me, uh, one of the intriguing players to see how he – you know how how he fits in. You know, assuming that he is that he still has that number two job come you know come game you know week one. Um, there's there's talk every week about are the Browns going to sign this guy? They going to sign this guy? You know who? You know the Browns need to get a number two running back. Well, I think Jerome Ford can be that guy. Um, obviously, he got you know he barely touched the ball last year other than other than kick returns. So we have to see, but he has the talent. So, um, I, you know, I'm going to be watching him and and I hope he gets the shot to be the number two guy. Honestly. Um, I, I think he can do very well. So, um, what are your thoughts at at back Jeff? It seems like we've talked about this every week, but right. Well, my, my thoughts on, on the running back is, is, you know, Jerome Ford is very, similar to Nick Chubb. And I've, I've said that since he was in college that, um, you know, the, the, the way Jerome, Jerome Ford is going to get an opportunity to, to play a lot is if Nick Chubb for some reason can't play. And then that's not what we want. So the, the question around, you know, what else do we do at running back is, you know, do we feel like we need a change of pace, a third down back, or, you know, somebody that can bring something different to the equation and, you know, that's yet to be determined in terms of how this offense is, is going to function. You know, can they get that type of 
productivity from other players is, you know, is Elijah Moore one of those guys that can, can give you that sort of productivity or, um, you know, maybe you're DPJ. getting it someplace yeah, else, right? Like yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking that we're, we're really good to start the season with the running back room that we have. Um, and if, you know, something horrible happens and, you know, we need to go out and find somebody, I think our, our consensus over the last several weeks has been it's, it's really not all that hard in the NFL to find somebody. A running think, back. Yeah. Have we seen enough of him? You know, I guess it would be relegated to the preseason action or looking at his college tape. Uh, how is he in passing situations staying home as a blocker? Because I thought that was one of Kareem Hunt's better strength because he had such terrible field vision, but he was able to to recognize the blitz. Uh, you know, and I'm hoping that we still have a guy like that when Nick Chubb can't be on the field. I'll be honest. I don't know how he is as a blocker. Um, you know, I know he's obviously can run the ball. Um, he's, he's an excellent receiver. Um, you know, he, he, and he's got tremendous speed. I don't know how good he is in blocking situations. And I mean, I saw him play a lot at UC, so I don't know. Um, I don't recall. Let me just put it that way. What are your, and, and that, that's totally fair. I, I mean, yeah. I understand that what been a couple we're doing seasons. And, so, yeah. I, I don't watch film. I, I don't break down film. I mean, I played quarterback in high school, but I mean, it's like, well, are, are we looking at a man defense? Are we looking at a zone? Are we looking at cover two or cover three? Because nobody plays cover four or cover one uh, at the prep level. Uh, but beyond that, and that was 25 years ago. So beyond that, I'm not uh, I'm not expecting anybody in the podcast world to be uh, well-versed on this stuff, except for those that do put them out, themselves out there as uh, X's and O's guys. But um, I think that that it is important, even if you have the novice eye, like I, you know, I, I will probably proclaim uh, that there is more to running, you know, th- there's more to the running game than just uh, carrying the rock. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think we'll find out about his blocking. I'll say that. Um, well, I hope I we mean, don't. I hope we, do, we don't even think about it because it's just assumed that he'll take care of his assignments. Well, that, that, that's a good point. Very good point. Yeah, you don't um, know who the referees or the umpires are unless uh, they make a bad call. <laughs> yes, and offensive Absolutely. linemen unless they unless they commit a penalty, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had a couple other guys kind of intriguing for me, and um, one of them is Ogbo. Um, he seems to be a guy people are kind of forgetting about because I don't think we know exactly what his role is going to be. You know, um, before Zadarius Smith was signed, I think, you know, we thought he was going to be a starting defensive end. And now it's like, well, you know, you know what's he going to do? Is he going to back up? You know, are they going to um, do more of a NASCAR package or, you know, are they going to occasionally play one, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson and, you know, and three or four defensive ends out there? What are they going to do? So I think for me, it's going to be interesting not only to see what he does, but see how often he plays, where he plays, what the formations are. Um, but, you know, that just goes all along with the defensive line. I think it's all going to be very interesting to watch. Would to I be naive to say that I trust Jim, Jim Schwartz with the work up front? No, oh, no, <laughs> I, I trust know. him completely. I just, <laughs> yeah, for me, it's just, um, yeah, Ogbo is is kind of an intriguing piece because I think we're, we're obviously going to see Miles and Tom Winston and Zadarius Smith out there as often as possible. 
you know, um, it's going to be a matter of who who's out there with them. You know, right. is it going to be Ogbo? Is it going to be, you know, who's who's who are the other guys going to be? You know, and who's going to get how many snaps beyond those three guys? When, I think when Anthony made Walker that signing. I I really didn't see him as as a starting defensive end. I saw him as a really big upgrade over the. Chase Winovich and and Tack McKinley role uh, that we've had the last couple of seasons, um, but I think that's a role that you know when you've got a guy that talented that you can deploy it more, particularly yeah. when you've got the other assets that we now have on the defensive line. And the right. return of Anthony Walker is going to be huge too. I mean, the, the leadership oh, that yeah. he brings and and he's going to be Jim Schwartz's eyes and ears on the field too. So uh, I, I am looking forward to that. I thought that was one of the more devastating things that happened in 2022 to this, For uh, sure. this football team. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, another, another guy for me to watch is, is, uh, is Wyatt Teller. Um, can he play, <laughs> the style of offensive line that this offensive line needs right. for Deshaun Watson. Um, we know he can run block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can run block as well as anybody in the league. Right. Um, you know, can he adjust his style of play to, to fit? And, you know, and that goes not only for Wyatt Teller, it goes for the entire offensive line, but Wyatt Teller is the, is the extreme example. Sure. Obviously the other guys need to change their play somewhat, but um yeah, Wyatt Teller needs to fit in with these guys. So um, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I think you're right, Rod. I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the, the spotlight's always on Jed Wills. But mm-hmm. in terms of, of um, being able to adapt his, his style of play from a really run-heavy offense to a lot more pass-pro sets, um, the, the the challenge is going to be out there for Wyatt Teller to to up his game and and really play at an all pro level um, in all in all phases, not just in the running game. Yeah, yeah. You you want to have an all pro in every room, you know that's not practical. But uh, in, in in some key positions, you just you just have to have that player. Or you're not going to compete in this league, and you know that's a large part of why the Cleveland Browns have not competed in this league largely. You know, over the you know the the majority of the last uh, twenty years. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. We've, we've lacked that core of of established. Um, you know, veteran, high-performing type players that you know, we've talked about for the last six or seven years, uh, Rod and I, you know, that you, know, you want to have guys in the, you know, second contracts, extensions that, that are playing at Pro Bowl levels and so forth. And we had a real dearth of guys that, that met those qualifications other than, you know, Joe Thomas and a few other guys, right? So, you know, now we've got this really deep roster of guys that, that are in that stage of, of their career. And, and you know, the challenge becomes, okay, can we turn that into a win-now window, but can we also continue that going forward? You know, so as, as guys age out, new guys come in, and we, and we maintain that, that core of players, right? So that's what turns us from a, a you know, wandering in the desert type of franchise to, to con- perennial contenders is having that core of guys. Yeah, I would open Pandora's box right now. I think if I asked about, you know, trying to get there with Kevin Stefanski, I mean, is he the guy that could take them there? Because I I really feel like we're looking at a Ditka 
Buddy Ryan thing. And if that ends up, you know, if that results in the 2023 Browns uh, being a parallel facsimile of the 1985 Chicago Bears, nobody, nobody in Cleveland's going to have a peep to say about it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've seen it at times where that head coach, uh, you know, defensive coordinator role, um, you know, they butt heads and that, you know, there's a, uh, I think Bill Simmons used to reference the wire with, uh, a, a, you know, Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell. You know, you can't have two kings. You know, one of them's got to take the throne, and the other one's got to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah, um, I've I've said this about Kevin Stefanski that um, my concern with him is what is he going to get out of Deshaun Watson? And I think we're all in agreement that that that's really what will determine our success or failure this year. And and I'm going to go back. Um, through his history and, and just use ex- the examples of the two guys that he has gotten more out of than anybody else in the league has been able to. And that's Baker Mayfield. And last year with Jacoby Brissett, he got more out of those two quarterbacks than any other coach in the league has been able to get out of them. So I expect him to be able to at least get something better <laughs> Deshaun Watson than we got last year, how high that goes, you know, yet to be determined, but um, I'm, I feel pretty good about Kevin Stefanski's ability to, to put Deshaun Watson in, in favorable positions and, and get the most out of him. And if Jim Schwartz can do that on the defensive side of the ball and have the same kind of impact on some of our key players over on that side of the ball, then we're going to be a pretty good football team. Can we create an offense for uh, Deshaun Watson without compromising uh, the the maximum that we can get out of Nick Chubb? I mean, are those two things mutually exclusive? It's either the Nick Chubb offense or or a Deshaun Watson offense? Yeah, I I think we can. Um, I mean, I think Nick Chubb probably never never really has been a a high-volume back in this league anyway. but as we shift to more uh, downfield passing off type offense, I think, you know, the, the opportunities for Nick Chubb will still be there. Um, I mean, gosh, if he can do what he's done all these years when they knew he was going to run the ball, what's going to happen when we have other, you know, the threat of other options out there. Right. So um, yeah, I think Nick Chubb can still be a, you know, 12 to 1500 yard type of back. Um, but I think he's also going to expand his game into, you know, a lot more uh, opportunities to catch the ball. Yeah, I, I, I think Deshaun, Deshaun Watson sets up the screen really well just with what he's able to do. Yeah, yeah it's just um, it, the offense is going to look different. I mean, I don't think they're just going to um, Nick, Nick Chubb has to be a part of your offense, but um, he's he's not going to be. He's not going to be. Um, hey, what do I want to say? Um, going to be Derrick Henry. He's never going to be Derrick. Well, Henry. He, he never has a volume. Been. I mean, you know, he, he you know, he, he's going to get his. Uh, you know, he's averaged about eighteen carries a game, roughly, right. um, the right. past two or three seasons. And I wouldn't. I, you know, I certainly wouldn't expect him to be over that. Um, and if he's close to that, to where he can be effective. You know, I mean, you don't want to cut him down to a dozen carries a game because that that's not enough, you know, for a back to be effective, a guy like him. He needs more right. carries than that. But, right. you know, you know, maybe there's games where he's getting 15, 17 like that, but he's, you know, he's uh, getting the ball thrown to him three, four times a game. Then, you know, fine. It, it's about touches with Nick Chubb, too. 
So sure. um, it'll be fun to watch. Ultimately, uh, it's about scoring points, right? I mean, if, well, yeah. if we're scoring 25 to 30 points a game, nobody cares how many touches they've had because we're going to be winning most of the time. No, and I think if Nick Chubb had about 1,000 yards and had, you know, 15 touchdowns, um, first of all, Nick Chubb doesn't care what his numbers are. Um, that's the know, best thing about him. Is yeah, that's the best thing about him. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think let's say Nick Chubb supporters rather than Nick Chubb because he really doesn't care. He just wants to help the team win. But, you know, if he did, if he went from 1,500 yards a season down to a a thousand or somewhere in that range and scored 15 touchdowns because the Browns are down at the goal line and they're just pounding it in with Chubb down there, then, you know, I think people would still be happy because he's still being used. I want the Browns to take advantage of Nick Chubb in, in, in two ways. We can't have, and I know I'm talking about a couple years ago now, but we can't have that situation in that Seattle game at home where they had nine tries inside the five and couldn't punch it in. I think they turned it over on downs. (laughs) And they need to be able to solve the way wins. That Jets game, they just need to get first downs on the ground and keep the clock running. You You have, theoretically, a pretty good offensive line. You have an outstanding running back. Why can't you get three first downs? And kneel out the clock. I mean, it feels like even the games that they won, they allowed the other team to get back in the game because the offense wasn't doing enough. And then the you know the defense just uh, we're allowed to swear here, right? Defense just shook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, is is that you know we as Browns fans we see that happen every week, and we go, why does this always happen to us? And then you watch other football games. It happens. And it happens all the time. to everybody in the everybody. league. It's just kind of the nature of the NFL that it's never decided until the clock runs completely out. You know, there's always that glimmer of hope yeah. that something terrible is going to happen, and you know, yeah. you know the, the, it's going to put that the, the the team that's behind back in the game. You know, so um, I don't know. It's part of I think part of our inferiority complex as Browns fans that you know we we think that it only happens to us, but. Um, Ultimately, that's that's the difference between, you know, a seven and 10 team and a 10 and 17 is do those things bounce your way more often than they don't, you know, and, and to this point, they've they've not done that for us. <laughs> not, the Browns have yeah. not gotten the breaks. Yeah. Um, you know, you could say we're due or you could say, you know what, we just aren't haven't been a good enough football team to, to make those things happen. I think both of those statements are absolutely true. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming that all 31 teams have a division title since the Texans came into the league. Everyone except the Browns. Um, that's probably pretty safe bets. I don't know that for sure, but it's probably. I mean, we're we're only a couple years yeah. removed. I think it was 2020 was the first year that uh, you know all three division opponents didn't sweep them. There was the one year where uh, they lost to Pittsburgh and they had the tie in the uh, in the opening week. I think it was the the uh, the last days of Hugh Jackson there. And I was biting my tongue about making a Hugh Jackson quip the entire time we were talking about Nick Chubb's usage, because I think that that was comically low. It was (laughs) almost like he was trying not to win the game. Yeah. Well, guys, I think I think things will be a little bit different this year because I'm picturing and Jeff, you and I have talked about Dewan Jones a little bit, but I'm li- I'm looking at this a little bit differently because I'm thinking you put Dewan Jones in at tight end or a sixth offensive lineman, 
you put James Hudson in at fullback, and then you hand the ball <laughs> off to, to to Nick Chubb. And yeah, I don't think they're going to stop him from the one, at least not more than once. With yeah, that the heavy up. sets this year could look a little different. They could look a little nasty. <laughs> well, you got to not... fill the you got to fill the void in short yarded situations that uh, Froholt uh, you know left open. Now that I, I think he's out here with the Cardinals now. Yeah. Well, I tell yeah. you, we 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 drafted some large men this year. So, um, you know, the, the downfield blocking from the wide receivers, uh, for instance, I mean, you know, the Cedric Tillman gets worked into the offense, um, as David Bell participates more in the offense. I think, you know, there's, there's going to be more productivity in places where we just haven't seen it in the past. You know, and, and it, that just opens the door for so many other options, like you said, Rod. I mean, can can you can you keep the defense off balance? Where in the past we've been just very predictable. Yeah. Yeah, well, when Joe Woods was coming with four every play, it wasn't hard to scheme against it. They, you know, nobody, you never, you never brought a fifth player, right? You know, unless you're bringing somebody off the court, you know, unless you're bringing Denzel Ward off the corner, and that's why the quarterbacks have just as many sacks as the interior linemen the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe Joe Woods was, right. um, you know, he was he was kind of like my uh, my 401k. You know, I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm in my senior years now and, and I'm playing it pretty safe. You know, <laughs> I'm not taking a lot of risk, you know? Um, oh, I'm whereas, constantly told I have enough time to recover from right, uh, whatever right, doom right. is. Well, oh, oh you got plenty of time. Oh in, yeah. In, in the NFL, there is no recovery. <laughs> so um, you're as good as your last game. Um, but I think with Schwartz, we've, we're going to see a bit of a different approach. Um there's going to be a lot more man coverage on the backside, which means, you know, yeah, you're going to have those instances where there's going to be an interception, but you're also going to have those instances where a guy falls down and people are going to be going, what the, you know, because Joe Woods was double teaming those guys, you know, and, and we still were giving up plays because that's just, again, that's the nature of the NFL is that it favors the receiver. Right. Um, so, I'm okay with us being a little bit more uh, willing to take risk on defense as long as we can score points on offense. If we, you know, if we're mm-hmm. putting up 25 to 30 points and our defense early on is, is giving up 25, you know, we still win. Right. So it might take a while for our defense to, we talked last week about, you know, will it be a top five defense and so forth? It's going to probably take a while for us to hit our stride defensively. Um, where, you know, we're, we're able to shut teams down. And that's going to happen when the defensive line really starts to assert itself. Um, and, and those guys all figure out how to play together, right? Um, that, you know, until then, there's going to be, I think, some there, – there, there's a, a high possibility that there's going to be some ugly-looking plays um, defensively for our team. Well, wouldn't I'll, surprise I'll, me at all. I'll take my chances on a guy falling down versus seeing guys out of position all the time. Well, honestly, yeah, to- which is totally what we saw last year. Yeah, totally it's totally different. different, different there. And, yeah, and I don't want to get into that, but right. But yeah, I'm not worried about guys falling down all that often. I like the guys who are playing defensive back. So you know, if if they give one up every now and then, I mean, that's football, right? You know, yeah. um, 
wide receivers have have a big advantage on the dbs right now they just do and jeff's got the thesis of this game down you you need to score enough points that you could afford to surrender a certain amount you don't need to worry about yards yeah you need to capitalize on possessions and particularly when you cross the 50 there's going to be some tough sluggish offensive performances where you're going to bring the punter out onto the field uh, a lot more than you'd like to. But, you know, it's today's game. is almost like arena football. It's less Mm -hmm. about position and more about possessions. Cause you take a team like the chiefs, you could pin them at their own five and three, three plays later. They're in the red zone. Uh, You know, just because of the things that they're able to do and they have something very special at quarterback and no offense to the uh, optimistic Browns fans out there. Deshaun Watson needs to do a lot more to prove himself to be on the same plane as Patrick Mahomes or even in the same ballpark. Uh, I need I need to see it before that. I believe that, uh, you know, he's closer than some of the other um, victims of the Chiefs, uh, you know, particularly Jalen Hurts, who he beat in the Super Bowl. Uh, we need to see Deshaun Watson at that, you know, at a top five level, or you know, everything else is for naught. Right, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, it uh, came out that uh, Clay Matthews Jr. is a semifinalist in the seniors category for the Hall of Fame, along with Marty Schottenheimer. So. Uh, this is the, uh, I think, the sixth time Clay has been a semifinalist, the first time in the seniors category. So, so let's hope, uh, let's hope something happens this year because Clay's been deserving for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the stats on Marty. I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to argue about uh, what you need to, to get in as a coach, but man. If there's any, and there, I don't think there's anybody more beloved in Cleveland than Marty Schottenheimer. A lot of people might be on the same level, but man, um, I think everybody would love to see that one too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think it's Bernie and then Marty, and, and Clay's up yeah. there too. Clay's yeah. definitely up there. Definitely. So, uh, hoping for those, hoping for those guys. Um, I think it's ridiculous that guys like Brian Urlacher, I mean, when you look at the numbers and, and the differences that Clay played for the Browns and Urlacher played in big market Chicago, but they have the exact same amount of rings. If that's the knock on Clay, um, I just think that Clay played in an underappreciated situation in Cleveland and, you know, from the outside, Cleveland is summed up with the drive, the fumble, and Baltimore. You know, Baltimore taking your team and winning right away. Uh, you know, I think those are the three things that you know. I mean, we have our own inferiority complex, but uh, you know, it does come from the outside. You know, there's a lot of flack coming yeah. from outside of that region too towards us. Well, Clay Clay gets knocked for his Pro Bowls too. He, he made two Pro Bowls, but Pro Bowls are voted on. You know. Um, I think it's a it's a crock, you know. Um, you have to look at the body of work, and you know, and, and Clay played different positions. And Clay, if he would have been an edge rusher, would have had a hundred sacks. And there's any number of reasons, you know, um, to to say why Clay belongs in the Hall. But um, you know, the Brian Urlacher comparison is definitely a good one. Yeah, and he was like a slam dunk. I think he was, you know, in the first year of his eligibility. And you know, I live oh, in I live in a divided household between Chicago and Cleveland. So um, I, I I've had my exposure to uh, Chicago sports and the Chicago Bears 
in particular. And they, you know, you ask them, I mean, because I, as far as I'm concerned, 1985 was yesterday. They just won the Super Bowl. You know, they won mm-hmm. the Super Bowl on Sunday and then Monday through the following Saturday, uh, you know, Jordan won with the Bulls. And then on Sunday, the you know, Blackhawks won Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, six from the, I mean, just in my lifetime. I mean, Cleveland has one in my lifetime and you have to go 30 years back. Uh, prior to that for the last idiots title, not quite as far back before my birth for, uh, for the Browns, but, uh, you know, Chicago, Chicago seems to win a title as often as Cleveland makes the postseason, you know, especially a sport like basketball where half more than half the league makes the, uh, makes the postseason. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that comes with success. I'm glad that it didn't plague Joe Thomas. I'm glad that he's going to have his moment down there in uh just a couple weeks in in canton uh my big fear with uh, i i'm i'm an advocate for clay going into the hall of fame and with marty uh being a an option i don't think that you could go wrong there but you know the journalists that vote on the hall of fame they're kind of a sneaky group and i'm just Mm -hmm. wondering if there's any game theory well, you know, Clevelanders won't build, you know, burn down that building if, you know, Marty and or Clay go in the same year as Art Modell. Um, I don't think that owners should go into the Hall of Fame in any event. And I don't care no. if you're, you're George, well, maybe George Hallis was a coach, but uh, I don't care if you're considered a great owner. Like Robert Kraft, you know, there's six championships under his employ, but that's not on him. I mean, you know, Belichick catches lightning in a bottle with Brady. Now, I will dispute the uh, sentiment that's going around that Belichick is nothing uh, without Tom Brady. He went yeah, five. I would he went be on five that. I would be on that uh, on that boat with you, with yeah. you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that he was definitely star-crossed in in Cleveland um, because of Modell. I think that the fact that Bill Belichick was not more successful in Cleveland was because Modell never couldn't couldn't authorize him to be the, the general manager of the club. So in that regard, Robert Kraft is so much better. Now you might talk about Monday night football and Rune Arledge's name is on there. Rune Arledge was the ABC sports executive that, that greenlit primetime football uh, on, on the broadcast network on Monday night, better known <laughs> as the, uh, the hedge or catch up game for the, uh, the gamblers. But, um, you know, the TV deals were going to come to the NFL anyway, and I would argue that they've done more since uh, the new millennium than they did in the 60s by just creating the one-time product. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how, how many households is Sunday Ticket in versus how many people were, you know, to, you know in total were watching when it was a free broadcast under, uh, you know, Pete Rozelle and even under Paul Tagliabue. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But, uh but yeah, well, well, we're not going to know about the Hall of Fame for a long time, but um, yeah, Super Bowl Sunday, right? So February. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, I think that's when they normally announce it. That's right. Yeah, because so, you have all the NFL owners in one place, or the all of the NFL writers in one place uh, in the Super Bowl host city, and you know they get a conference room in a hotel, and um, you know they they discuss these guys at nauseum. If you uh, take Peter King at his word, which uh, I think he's a fantastic writer, and I think that he operates with integrity. But um, I might, I might question him on uh, his knowledge of football. Yeah, we don't really know what goes on behind those doors. True. We really, really I, I just don't. I don't get the argument for Modell. Yeah, he was no. around. For, he was around forever. 
And if you want to debunk the, you know, fired Paul Brown because Blanton Collier won him a, a championship and Blanton Collier was a good, great coach in his own right. I mean, I mean yeah. if you, want to, you know, if, if you want to give him credit for those things, I understand. But taking an institution like the Cleveland Browns out of Cleveland, um, going broke, uh, running a, you know, pretty successful uh, franchise. Uh, you know, getting a stadium for a dollar from the city of Cleveland and then asking for help after you know, they basically gave it to him. They didn't give it to him so that he could come back and say, give me more a couple of years later. They gave it to him so he could take care of it and take care of his primary tenant, which was his own club. And I don't want to hear a thing about how the Cavaliers and the Indians got uh, you know brand new venues up there on uh, you know Carnegie because – he was invited to be a part of that, and it was his belligerence, and it was his anger at the city over the Indians' success and abandoning him at Municipal Stadium that, that really led to him going to Baltimore. Now, I do have a family connection to the learners, so um, I try to disavow uh alfred's role in getting that team down there uh you know he's he's a devil dog like myself so you know semper fi and all that but i I understand that learner played a role in the end of the browns and you know he got to he gets to be the hero that uh owns the team on the other side but um you know they forgot to be successful like their predecessors yeah definitely Keep him out. Keep him out of the Hall of Fame. I, mean, I would. Yeah, I would I love for him to stay out. Well, you I think do I, not yeah. want Art Modell in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Screw Art Modell. You know what, yeah, Rod? I want to uh, just go back to Marty Schottenheimer real quick. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just to kind of make his case. Um, yeah. You know, Marty Schottenheimer um, coached 20 years in the NFL and only had two losing seasons. Um, what I think he gets a bad rap for is the fact that he didn't ever win a championship. I mean, he, he got his teams to the playoffs, but he just couldn't really win championships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the, the list, the all time list of wins for NFL head coaches, he's got 203 regular season wins as an NFL head coach. That's 13th on the all time list. That's mm-hmm. just behind Paul Brown. I mean, he, in every respect, in terms of longevity, uh, winning programs, uh, players respecting him and loving to play for him, motivating guys, um, Marty Schottenheimer's a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, you can't say he wasn't a great Hall and a great coach in the Hall of Fame. I mean, yeah, he deserved, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Outside of Deion Sanders, outside of Deion Sanders, who, you know, butted heads with him uh, in Washington, D.C., have you ever heard a player speak ill of of Marty between the Chargers, the Chiefs, Redskins, or Browns? No, No. never. Everybody loved loved him. I mean, everybody loved Marty and and respected him. So, yeah, I just, um, I get get so tired of... uh, of everything in sports being based on how many titles you win, you know. I mean, things sometimes things are out of your control. Um, you know, feel like that's a, that's an internet that's an internet generation thing. That, yeah, you know, it's kind of our access. You know, uh, you know, 
with all the great things that being able to connect, like uh, like I am with you guys tonight, uh, there are so many downfalls to the age of technology and the availability of information that just, you know, gets so manipulated and, and changed and screwed up, you know, over, you know, over the game of telephone that uh, tends to be our media that, these days. Yeah, I agree. So one more thing, guys, just just real quick, just because Jeff likes to, to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, the, the whole talk of an Aaron Donald and a trade. Um, I know there's a bunch of teams mentioned in this, but uh, <laughs> Jeff, I know kind of where you stand on this, that um, you think it's kind of silly, but uh, uh, right. Um, Je- I wanted to get Jeff Rich's thoughts on this. I mean, Aaron Donald's guy who's talked about retirement and everything. So um, what what do you think about the prospects of of not only the Browns, but anybody trading for Aaron Donald, what they might have to give up, what you, what you expect to get out of them. Um, I mean, he's 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 a great player, obviously. Um, Arguably the best in uh, the best in the game on the defensive yeah. side of the ball, if not the best in the game overall for a majority mm-hmm. of his career. You know, and considering you know, considering the knock on him coming out of pinch, just about his size. Uh, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of draft picks out there that say, you know. Don't worry about his vitals. He play, you know, he plays like he's six four. Um, mm-hmm. I think he'd be a great add uh, to a team that needs to win in in twenty twenty three here. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's probably a team like the Ravens. But I, I think it's got to be a team that says Aaron Donald is going to help us win a Super Bowl this year, and we're going to go. You know, we're going to push all our chips to the center to make this happen. I, I'd imagine the, draft, the, the Rams want draft picks in return, and uh, yeah. it's something that the, the Browns happen to be kind of kind of low on at least uh, day one and two. Right. Yeah i I don't know. Um, I I don't see. I I don't get the Ravens, man. I don't get what the Ravens have done. I don't. I mean, Aaron Donald would help anybody. And the Ravens are always stocking up their defense. Um, I, you know. Well, they're still recovering because they screwed up with the Patrick Queen uh, pick. Uh, you know that that defense has always been about you know the one in the middle. You have you have four fullbacks up front to uh, make way for the middle linebacker, regardless of who's been the defensive coordinator there. And you know, obviously, I'm going to think back to Ray Lewis. And you know, if I could just kind of have an aside about my bitterness with the Ravens and it, you know how it goes <laughs> it goes beyond Modell, I, I think of. You know, I think of the the fact that you know our heroes from the early and mid '90s as Cleveland Browns, uh, you know, they were under contract, and you know, some of them had to uproot their lives and, and play down there. Uh, but the toughest pills to swallow were the guys that uh, you know stayed with the team after '95, like Matt Stover and Rob Burnett. Uh, as those guys slowly started to retire, like the second Super Bowl didn't bother me nearly as much as the uh, first one. First of all, R was still alive for that first one. Uh, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, they built that franchise on two Hall of Famers that they took in 96 after sab- sabotaging the season in 95. I mean, this team went from 3-1 and one to 5-11. and 11. Uh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. it, there's not it's not an exact flashpoint with uh, finding out that they were moving because that didn't happen until November of 95. But, uh, you know, two first round picks in 96, 
So we sent Eric Metcalf away, and J.J. Stokes was involved somehow, and Ray ends up playing in Baltimore for 20 years, and Ogden goes to the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, they're two, two of their three Hall of Famers, and, and the third one, Ed Reed, uh, no disrespect to William Green, but I, I'm taking Ed Reed with that first-round pick in, in, uh, to, you know, in 2002. Um, so, like, really all three of their Hall of Famers, they could have been drafted to the Browns uh, you know, under one circumstance or another. And, and mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit with Ed Reed. But Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis were a direct result of the Browns having two first-round picks in 1996, as well as the brilliance of Ozzie Newsome. I, I think the cost is a little bit of a step down for them. Yeah, and Ozzie Newsom's a whole other story. I mean, <laughs> one of our heroes. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, I still love Ozzie Newsom as a player. The fact that he that he was there and a brilliant GM for the Ravens for all those years, yeah, that hurts. It really hurts. Well, I think that's an indictment of the learner ownership group uh, and you know, all the team presidents that they've had. You know, Mike Holmgren's on the ballot. Maybe Mike Holmgren did enough as a coach with Green Bay and Seattle, but he didn't even win in Seattle until he fired himself as the general manager. And then he just took $50 million of the uh, learner's money to do what I don't exactly recall. I mean, he hired his, his buddy's nephew. Um yeah, but I, Pat Shermer will get me off on a different tangent that you guys don't want to go on with me. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so yeah, um, Aaron Donald. I I don't know if it'll happen. I don't see it happening to the Browns. So um, I don't think any of us really do. But, uh, does but yeah, it, it sounds since this regime does the DePodesta Barry regime operate like that at all? I, I I don't think that they do. I think they, I think the Clowney was the biggest uh, investment that they were willing to make, and he and, and even well, him, they got him on uh, on prove it deals. Well, I mean Watson is the biggest investment they've made, but you know overall, but yeah, on, on defense, I mean yeah, you're right. They haven't gone in on a player like this, but I think going in on a player like this would be saying it's all about this very season, and you know I I, I still feel like they're operating within within a, a window, you know, that by bringing a lot of these guys in on these one-year, two-year deals, whatever, to where they feel like they want to compete over the next two, three seasons under this Watson contract or, you know, um, while, while they have Chubb and Garrett and, and a lot of other guys signed. So, um, yeah, I think whatever team gives up, you know, a first and a second or two firsts for Aaron Donald, they're, they are. They're going all in this year. Um, Boy. You know, that'd be a lot to give up for a guy who's probably going to play his final season for you. Right. And then, yeah, cost you 35 million bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and that's really, for me, that's the, the issue is that you're going all in and you're sacrificing next year. You know, you're, you're saying, right. OK, we're going to just blow it up next year then, you know, whether we win or not this year. Um, I mean, you got to consider the window to be the length of Watson's contract. So right. four more seasons. Yeah. Exactly. Somewhat. I mean, just based on some of the other players, too. Um, you know, I mean, the, you have to keep being smart, you know, with the players on the roster and extending the right guys and, you know, um, letting the right guys go, too. But, yeah, I, w- I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I mean, you know, has, is this defense built around Miles Garrett, or is Miles Miles Garrett just a key, you know, one of the the key cogs to it? Then, you know, that's that's something to think about. And there just hasn't been any consistency with the defensive leadership as far as the uh, the coaching staff goes. And I don't really know, you know, what Kevin Stefanski's um, defensive mindset is because you have to have that as the head coach. Uh, you know, most of the head coaches, most of the, success, uh, the successful head coaches in this league uh, are known for their offensive backgrounds. But, you know, Belichick had to, you know, Belichick had to learn offense to understand how to make Brady effective. Um, and that is a role of the head coach that I think is often overlooked, whether you hire an offensive or a defensive guy. You know, is it an advantage to hire a guy like Harbaugh with the, you know, with like John Harbaugh? with the special teams, but, you know, specifically the special teams background. Um, I think that that might be the way to do it because a lot of head coaches do take on the, the special teams on their own, but you have to know, you have to know what all 22 players are set out to do when you're the head coach of a football team, regardless of, you know, regardless of you are, you know, um, mostly known as an offensive guy like Stefanski is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would agree with you. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I it's his responsibility with Josh Allen, too. I mean, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the few successful defensive coaches um, have, you know, have this cognizance for uh, what happens on the offensive side of the ball. They have to. Guess oh, yeah. More. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, guys. Well, uh, we've been talking for a while. So, uh, so let's get some final thoughts. And Jeff Rich, we appreciate you being with us. And everybody needs to, especially the night owls, need to check out your your show on on uh, on uh, what'd you say, Sirius Sirius XM. Yes, uh, Sirius XM. It's it's somewhere between uh, channel two hundred and, and two ten. Uh, okay. I just yeah. I I don't I don't get to listen to the show because I got to be in the studio on the uh, <laughs> uh, on the microphone every night. If I could give uh, one parting thought, um, sure. The atmosphere that is Cleveland sports, and this comes living off the reservation for for quite some time. The the atmosphere surround you know surround, and it might be the entire Midwest, but I can't speak for the entire Midwest. I can only speak for where I'm from and where I'm at. Uh, compared to a non-sports town like Phoenix. There's nothing like what you guys have. There's nothing like the phenomenon uh, that is the nearly universal interest in sports, despite all the losing. I'd say the Philadelphia, um, you know, and I know that they've got, you know, they've got a World Series, they've got a a, a Super Bowl uh, this era, you know, not 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 so much for the hockey and the basketball teams, but you know, teams that just feel like they get beaten down and bloodied all of the time. Seem mm-hmm. to have the most diehard fans. Uh, you know, you'll see a little bit of the bandwagon with the uh, Chiefs fans for as long as Mahomes is there. Um, I think that there was a big bandwagon with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, but there's not that much of a jump in the interest in, uh, particularly the Browns, when they're successful because the fans have always been there. You know, do they show up when the weather gets cold and they suck? They don't. But <laughs> I, I live in Arizona. I, I know about not wanting to be cold. Um, so I, I, I think that if you were part of that Cleveland fan base, and, and there's bad apples in every bunch, but if you were part of that Cleveland fan base, you need to give yourself a pat on the back for the admiration, the dedication, and loyalty that you demonstrate towards 
uh, the home team. I, I don't see that out here. All right, that's that's Jeff Rich. Follow him at Jeff Rich Talks. Jeff, closing thoughts tonight? Yeah, let's hope that this is the season that all those loyal fans start to get paid back for their loyalty. <laughs> let's let's go out and win some games this year. Hope springs eternal, guys. Absolutely, that would be great. And uh, yeah, let's hope there aren't too many games where it's below zero. Right. <laughs> This has been Brown's Blitz. We thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.